Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Revelation chapter number 16. Revelation 16 in your Bibles tonight. You know, sometimes when I have studied a passage of the Word of God and I've spent time doing that uh, throughout the week, my anticipation builds for preaching it. I can't wait to tell you what I have discovered in the Bible. And sometimes a sermon is like that. You know, the foundation is laid at the beginning, and we consider some doctrinal things, and we get to some application. And the end of the, the message is something about how God can save you, and maybe there's an illustration, or um, uh, maybe it's about how you can be victorious in your walk with the Lord. And, uh, and I love those sort of messages, and I love those sort of truths. But I have to warn you tonight, this passage is not that kind of a message. In fact, I would even say it's the opposite of it. Um, as I was studying, and as I even stand before you now ready to preach this passage, it actually, the more, I've spent, the more time I've spent considering the truths of this passage, it actually fills my heart with dread to some degree. And it does so because of, of the judgment and the wrath of God that's going to fall upon this world, and not just the globe, not just the world in that sense, but rebellious mankind um, upon the world. Uh, Todd, do you have that? Uh, could we bring the screen down and pull up the revelation? Do we have that easily handy there to get to? Here comes the screen. Well, we'll see if it can be brought up. If it can, great. If not, don't worry about it, okay? Revelation chapter number 16 and verse number 1. And I want to, uh, I want to consider uh, at this time in history, and we're talking about Revelations is a book about the future. It's prophetic, okay? Much, most of it is talking about something that hasn't happened yet. Uh, the chapters 2 and 3 talk about the church age. That's the day in which you and I are living. And in that age, in the day in which you and I are living, God is giving mercy to mankind. He is giving grace to mankind. He is, he is giving opportunity after opportunity for mankind to see the truth. And that is that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he sent his only son to die on a cross to save you from your sins. And that if you will receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be born again. You can be saved. And he'll save you from death and hell to come, which, which everybody is born into sin. I have four children, and all my four children, I think they're the cutest things there, there were. When they were little babies there at McLaren Hospital, I looked at them and thought, oh, wow, they're so beautiful, you know, they're so incredible. But all four of my children were born into this world sinners with a sin nature. And all four of my children have needed to be saved. Uh, I needed to be born again. I needed to be made alive by the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in me. And that's only found in faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only place salvation is found, in Christ alone. Not in our good works, not in how much we give, not what we can do or don't do. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. And we're living in an age today where God is giving mercy and grace. He's very long-suffering. Can we forward it? Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's stop there for just a moment. We'll bring us up to date here as we've been studying through the book of Revelation. 
Here's a timeline of events yet to come. You see the cross, about 32 A.D., the Lord Jesus Christ is crucified um, and then raised from the dead. Pentecost would be the beginning of the church. Um, Jesus Christ will have, had, will have uh, gone to be with the Father not long before then. Then you have the church age. Um, it's been about 2,000 years since Jesus Christ went to be with God in heaven. Um, and then at the end of the church age, the Bible teaches that there's going to be a rapture. And that's a catching up. Uh, a, a catching up to be with him. And all of those people who are born again, who are saved... When that day happens, and we don't know when that will be, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about that, uh, that will be the time of the rapture. Now, the rapture, uh, and you can imagine what that might be like. There have been books written about that, and people theorize about those things. But you can imagine what that might be like. There are going to be hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people, who are going to disappear from the face of the earth like that. Okay? There will be all kinds of speculation, I can only imagine, It'll make for good news. Um, But the rapture is going to begin what the Bible calls in the Old Testament as the seven years of Jacob's trouble, or we call it the tribulation period. And remember why this period is taking place. God is seeking to reach his people, the nation of Israel, who have rejected their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, And so in an effort to reach them... Uh, he is shaking them loose from their self-confidence. It's also a time of judgment upon the earth for all those who, in rebellion against God and his word, have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. For the first three and a half years, the tribulation, the seven years of Jacob's trouble, is seven years long. The Bible makes that clear. The first three and a half years, the Antichrist, which will be a global figure, he'll rise to power peacefully. Um, according to our study in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is going to support Israel. At the midway point of the tribulation, he's going to break his treaty with Israel, and the Antichrist is going to begin to persecute Israel uh, grievously, okay, uh, horribly. And, uh, and so, uh, Todd, you can take it ahead one more time. And so we've studied the first seven seal judgments. We've studied the seven trumpet judgments. And now we come, we're in the second half of the tribulation period here in Revelation chapter 16, and we're studying the uh, seven vile judgments, or the word vile means bowl. And um, again, what we're studying has not happened yet. But as we read these verses tonight, there's a few things I want you to keep in mind. One is that God is holy. I asked Pastor Toman to sing that song before this message on purpose. God is holy, and he is love. He is loving. He loved you and me so much that he was willing to send his only begotten son to this sin-cursed earth and take all of our sin upon his body and suffer our death and suffer our hell for us. That's how much God loves us, okay? But God is also holy, and he is righteous, and he is just. And there comes a point where God's going to say, I'm not going to give you any more mercy. I'm not going to give you any more grace. You've had your opportunity. And he's actually going to harden their hearts, and they will not be able to repent anymore. And they are going to suffer. You say, and we're not talking about hell here 
tonight in this passage. But if you were to say, Seth, do you believe in a place called hell, a literal place called hell? And the answer to that is yes. I believe the Bible teaches that without a doubt. I also believe the Bible teaches about a literal place called heaven. I believe it talks very clearly about eternal life. God made you and me different than animals, okay? He gave you a soul, and that soul is meant to live somewhere forever. And what we do with the Word of God determines where that place is. Now, we're not talking about hell tonight, but I will tell you this. This is probably as, as close to hell on earth that we will read from this passage as you, can, you and I can imagine, okay? And uh, I want you to be thinking tonight as we read this passage about an event yet to come. And, and uh, you and I, as born-again believers, will not be here on the earth when this takes place. If you're a born-again child of God, you'll not be here uh, when this takes place. So we can rejoice in that, but our hearts are heavy as we think about the wrath of God upon sinful mankind. Look at Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials, that word means bowls, of the wrath of God upon the earth. So the picture is seven angels in heaven. God is there. They all have seven, each have a bowl, and it's full. And the picture is it's full of the wrath of God. And each one of those bowls has a different type of judgment that they're going to pour out upon mankind. That's the picture. It's imagery so we can imagine it. Verse 2. And the first, the first angel went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. The mark of the Antichrist. That number in their forehead upon them which worshipped his image. So this judgment is specific to those who are worshipping the Antichrist. Verse 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, thou art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. For they are worthy. Now, uh, we don't have time to go back, but if we've studied, um, the Antichrist is going to lead the people living during that time to kill, to slaughter people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, So if you or I were to live during this time, if a person were to be saved during the tribulation period, and they were to say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with my life. I'm going to follow him no matter what. You and I, could we choose to do that today. We can choose to do that today. And you know what it means? Um, I don't go to certain places over uh, in the south side of Flint because I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. It means I don't watch certain things. It means, you know, I, I, I'm going to follow him and yield my life to the Lord. In this day, for those people who say I'm going to follow Jesus Christ as my Savior, it means that they're going to suffer persecution. Can you imagine that? As a husband, you, you, you come to the conclusion that G, the Bible is true, and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, and he's my Savior. I've received him as my Savior, and you're living during the tribulation period. If you as a father chose to do that, you're basically signing a death warrant for your entire family. And so it's going to be a wicked day. And so here we see in these verses, just the ones that I've just read, 
God pours out a vile judgment upon the earth, and the angel of God says, God, you're just for doing this because they have killed so many of your people, your children. Notice verse number 7. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord, God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, the throne of the Antichrist, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water therefore was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So that's the devil, the antichrist and the false prophet. And for they were the spirits of devils, so we're talking about demonic activity here, working miracles which go forth unto the king of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief, God says, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And I believe God's talking there, he's warning and he's encouraging um, those those, those Jews that have believed, that are still living on the earth, uh, redeemed Israel, and maybe some believers who have not been killed yet, uh, not been martyred. Verse 16, and he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. How many of you ever, have ever heard of that name, Armageddon? Can I see your hands? All right. It's something we most, a lot of people have heard about. Um, what is it? It's a Hebrew word. What is he talking about? Verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne. So this is God speaking, saying, it is done. Now, the seventh vial, or the seventh bowl, will be the last judgment of God upon mankind. Verse 18, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now remember Babylon, in our passage, uh, I believe it is going to be a literal place. But remember, it represents religion without God and rebellion against God. And we've talked about this before as we've studied this book. And here he brings it up again that this great Babylon, uh, God remembers them and he gives her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Folks, that's a horrible thing. Verse number 20. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men great hail out of heaven, every stone weighing about the weight of a talent. That's about 100 pounds, give or take a little bit. Can you imagine that? Um, And men, and notice the response of the people, and men blasphemed God. 
because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. As, I, as we look at this passage tonight, again, there's a big part of me where it brings absolutely zero joy. Zero. Um, there's a whole lot of other things I'd rather talk to you about tonight than this. But as we go through, and this is important, this is one of the reasons why it's important for us to go and study through books of the Bible. Because if we didn't do that, how many of you think I'd be tempted not to preach on this passage? I'll, you got it right. I'd be like, no, I don't see any point of that. You know, I'll let them read that on their own. I'm just being real transparent. I'd be tempted to do that. And by the way, I fear that far too many pastors and evangelists throughout the United States of America and the world probably do that. And so it's important for us to go verse by verse because we need to ponder these things. It's important for our children to understand that Jesus Christ, God's only son, died on a cross. God loves us. He does. But it's also equally important for them to understand that God is holy and and that we reap what we sow. And it's important how we live our lives in this earth. Let's pray, and we'll look at this passage. And you, I'm sure you have some questions, and we'll seek to answer them tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at this, this chapter. Father, I'm thankful that your people, the church, will not be there during this horrific time on the earth. I'm thankful for that. And yet, Father, my heart grieves... Uh, and hurts for mankind who chooses to rebel against you. Father, thank you for being merciful and long-suffering and gracious and slow to anger. And yet, Lord, I do understand from your word that there's coming a day you're going to set mercy and grace aside and you're going to bring forth your judgment upon those who have hated you. Father, help us, I pray, to live our lives today in a way that would please you. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Notice in verse 1 again, though, I want to notice a few things, and we'll look at all seven of these vials tonight in the time that we have. First of all, I notice that there's the pouring out of these bold judgments. Now, I've given you the illustration. I've kind of shown you what it might look like. Again, you have seven individual angels. They're each tasked with a responsibility, and they each have the responsibility of delivering the judgment of God upon the earth and upon mankind. And each one of these vile judgments is separate. There are seven of them, and they're, they're all, they all take place in the second half of the tribulation. It's all, the second half of the tribulation is often called the Great Tribulation because as, as, as intense as the destruction was in the first half, the second three and a half years are worse. And, uh, and they're growing in intensity. So we, we see the pouring out of the vile judgments. Notice again verse 1. He says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the, excuse me, to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials, the bowls, of the wrath of God upon the earth. There is something very real about the wrath of God. And, and in our day, so often, and even as an evangelist, So often I would talk about the grace of God. And we should. And we talk about the love of God. And we write songs about the love of God. The love of God 
and, and, and you know, if, if, if every uh, man were a scribe by trade and, and, and had, everybody had a quill and, and the, the oceans were made of ink and we could all write about the love of God, we could never fully explain the love. Of, it's so vast and wonderful. And it's true. The love of God is wonderful. And his grace and his long-suffering toward usward. And it, that is true. But friends, we are also reminded in this passage that God has wrath as well. The mere reading of this passage, I think, causes us to shudder. Why are the judgments so severe, we could ask ourselves. Uh, There must come a time when judgment can no longer be delayed, and the idolatry of the earth, there's coming a day where it's going to be punished. You remember in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 20, you might remember the Ten Commandments in that passage. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Ponder that for just a moment. The iniquity of the fathers in Exodus chapter 20 is the idolatry of the fathers. And God says, don't have any other gods before me, don't make images, don't bow down, don't worship them. Because if you do, you're going to reap what you sow, and what you're sowing is idolatry. And what you don't understand is, as you sow the seed of idolatry, there's a principle in Scripture, it's called uh, sowing and reaping. You get what you plant. And if I, as a father, am going to plant the seed of idolatry, and let's just say the seed of idolatry for me is my love for sports. I love it. I love them. I can can have so many TVs all around me with all the games on all the time, and I'm willing to, you know, kind of leave my wife out of the picture and, and neglect my children and the local church. And, you know, God has no place. I don't have any time. You know, I got to work, so I'm going to work. But then it's just sports all year long. Every sport I can consume. And basically, I'm worshiping, uh, worshiping athletics. You know, when I'm overwhelmed and I'm frustrated and things are going on in my life, I don't go to God for, for uh, release. And I don't go to God for help and, and for my needs. I turn to sports. And you know what? It just kind of washes it all away. For somebody else, their idol is some sort of a drug. They don't need God. They have a drug. And it meets their need. It's their idol. And what God's saying in that passage is, if you, if you go into idolatry, you're going to plant the seed of idolatry, and you're going to reap what you sow. And God says, I'm going to visit your sin upon your children, and upon your grandchildren, and upon your great-grandchildren. And he says it unto the fourth and fifth generation of them that hate me. And then he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And those first four commandments are all about worshiping God, the one true God. And what is this dominant sin that finds itself in our world today, by the way, and it will be definitely dominant during the seven years of the tribulation period, and especially dominant in the last three and a half years, 
And the, and the sin is going to be the sin of idolatry. In fact, we've already studied this, but they're going to be worshiping the Antichrist. Who is it that you and I are supposed to worship? We're supposed to worship who? God. We're supposed to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's, that is why we gather. We gather because... This is his word. This is the written word. He is the living word. And we gather and we read it and we don't understand it all. And some of it, we may, would, we may want to talk about something else and study something else, but we work our way through it because it is the word of God and we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But idolatry is so prevalent in our, in our world today. And it's going to be dominant in that day during the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. What we are studying in chapter 16 really is the visitation of God's judgment upon a world that has chosen to worship everything but their creator. Do you see that? Can you see that? I think sometimes it's hard for us in our day and age to pinpoint idolatry. We might say, well, I don't have an image, Seth. I don't go home and and, you know, get out a carver and a saw and cut out a little idol and set it up and say, there, family, there's my idol. No, it's what we look to. It's what we allow ourselves to be consumed with. It's what dominates our thinking. And like I gave an illustration of just a few moments ago, it's what you look to to deliver you from hardship and anxiety and fears and trouble. Some people, again, turn to a drug. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to immorality. Recently, it was just recently, an individual I was having lunch with, he, he talked about, a, I think it was a coworker, or a friend or something like that, maybe a, a relative. But the individual had said, when, how did you go through that hard time in your life? And the, the man said, I found, I can't quote him exactly, but he found solace in women. That was his idol. That was his God. He found something to get him through. It's idolatry. And, and so this judgment that we're seeing here is the creator of the, the heavens and the earth, God, uh, visiting judgment upon those who have chosen to worship everything but him. During the last three and a half years of the tribulation, people of the world are going to be worshiping the devil and the Antichrist. But God will never allow his glory to be given to another. The whole world is going to be following the devil. They're going to be worshiping the Antichrist. The world is going to be living like there is no God. But God is going to vindicate his sovereignty. He's going to defend his sovereignty. God has the right to rule. They will be living in disobedience, and he's going to vindicate his holiness. And the hour of judgment can be delayed no longer, and from the smoke-filled temple in heaven there comes a great voice with a command, and you've seen it in verse 1, and he says, Go your ways and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. Now, notice these, and we'll go through them uh, fairly quickly. The first bowl is in verse number 2. You see it there, it says, And the first went, the first angel went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. 
So the first judgment is directed specifically to those who have taken the mark of the beast, those who worship the Antichrist. Hold your place in chapter 16 and go back to chapter 13 for just a few moments. Look back there, chapter 13 and verse number 16 and 17. Now in chapter 13, you remember, the seven main characters of the tribulation, of Revelation are identified. And Israel is identified, and uh, Jesus is identified, um, um, the, Antichri- the, the devil is identified, the Antichrist is identified, and the false prophet is identified, all in this particular chapter. But notice what happens in verse number 16, this religious leader of, the, of this particular time, in verse 16, it says, He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Uh, You can turn back to chapter 16, but you remember what's taking place there. The pressure is going to be tremendous. for, For a person who's living during this particular time in human history, and it's going to be an awful time, it's going to be a horrific time, they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to survive. And if I'm a father living during that time, and the the world leader, the global leader of the world, indicates through his religious leader, the false prophet, um, that you have to worship the Antichrist, the, the leader of the world. And you have to take his mark, which is not hard for us to imagine. Um, you know, I, I can remember them talking years ago how it might be a barcode stamped across your forehead. I don't think anybody's going to see it. It's just going to be there. And, you, and in order, if you're going to go to the grocery store and be able to buy food for your family, you've got to have this mark, and you've got to worship the beast. You've got to worship the Antichrist, the Antichrist. If I'm a father, you, can you imagine the pressure? Uh, well, I still love God. I, I, just need to, I just need to do this for the health and well-being of my family. Uh, there's going to be rationalizing that's going on. Um, and, and so this, this first judgment is directed on all those who have taken the mark of the beast. The words, no, the words noisome uh, there means painfully bad and grievous sores or, or are, they're boils and sores upon the idol worshipers of the earth. And God sends this plague upon the nation of Israel when the worship, uh, who have worshipped the gold, uh, excuse me, it, this isn't the first time I should say this has happened, because God also sent boils upon those who worship the golden calf. Do you remember that? Aaron erected that calf, and God sent boils upon the nation of Israel. The same type of plague came upon Egypt. It was the sixth plague. And God allowed Satan to bring a similar plague upon Job. And so the true Messiah can heal these things, these boils and these sores, but the Antichrist cannot. Notice the second vile judgment in verse number 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. You might remember the two sets of judgments that we've already studied that will take place in the first three and a half years. The sealed judgments and the trumpet judgments. You see them behind me. The second sealed judgment records that there will be much human blood shed. 
during the early part of the tribulation period. The second trumpet judgment records that a third part of the sea will be turned to blood. But here it seems that the waters of the entire earth will become, you notice this, as the blood of a dead man. I have to point out it does not say it will become blood, but as the blood of a dead man. Well, you can imagine the awful stench that that would create as the tremendous bodies of water upon the earth begin to congeal and the shipping is brought to a halt and all the fish and all living things in the sea die. And I would remind you of this, that the plagues of Egypt, when God turned that water into blood, and so this is a literal plague and it's going to affect the seas. The third vile judgment, notice in verse number four. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. Now, not as, but they became blood. And by the way, that second vile judgment, that might well be turning to blood. But now the third angel pours out his vial, in verse 4, upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, thou art and wast and shalt be, because... Thou hast judged thus. Why? For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. That's awful. It is. I think of the Holocaust we read about, and its history records for us. Millions of Jews put to death. Millions upon millions of believers, I believe, are going to be put to death. I don't understand why the heart of man is so stubborn. I don't understand why the heart of man is so rebellious. Why won't they turn? And so now this third vile judgment expands this judgment, this bloody judgment, if I can call it that, to the fresh water rivers and lakes. And this angel defends the holiness and righteousness and justice of God for doing it. There might be times when we feel that God is going beyond what is necessary. There might be times where you and I struggle with whether or not this is even right, and yet I am reminded as we study the nature of God's judgments, remember that God is both omniscient and he is righteous. He always does what is right. And as the judge of all the earth, God will always do what is right. The deadly destruction upon the earth won't meet with any objections in heaven. And the wicked who have destroyed innocent lives will now face the wrath of God. They will have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Now they must reap what they have sown. In the Old Testament, God spoke in this manner, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 40. He says, For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh. And that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries." and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. The righteous judgment of God will never be questioned. 
Notice the fourth bold judgment in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9, it says this, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. The word blaspheme there means to vilify or to speak evil of. It means to uh, defame. Have you ever heard someone talking bad about somebody else? Whenever someone talks bad about somebody else, their purpose is normally to make themselves look better or at least to make that person look bad. They want that person to look as bad as possible to the, in the eyes of the person that they're talking to. And it's interesting in this passage that in this fourth vile judgment that's poured out upon the earth, mankind is scorched with this heat. And the Bible says that they know who the plague is coming from. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? They know that this plague is coming from God. They don't think it's global warming. They know who it's coming from. And they vilify God. They talk evil about him. Now again, I remind us all, this is the same God who sent his only begotten son to this earth to become sin for us. This is the one who they drove the crown of thorns down into his his skull and they scourged him and they beat him until his back was literally in ribbons. And they beat him across the face until he was unrecognizable. This is his son, Jesus Christ, who he gave to become sin for us. We deserve death and hell. And I remind you of that. You and I deserve death and hell for all of eternity. But God so loved the world that he gave. And for hundreds of years now and thousands of years now, mankind in large part has said, God, we don't want you We don't know you. We don't want to know you. And God has said, receive my son. Be born again. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I I will give you rest. And the world has scoffed and said, I don't, I'm not interested. And now, many of the world find themselves in this, will find themselves at this point in the tribulation period, their hearts are hardened. And there's no more repentance. And the judgment of God is falling upon them. For over 6,000 years, God has made the sun to shine on both the evil and the just. But during this particular time in the tribulation period, God's going to make the sun shine with such intensity that the evil, uh, upon the evil, that many, many men are going to die. And those who don't die because of the sun's intensity will suffer more because of their bodily sores and the awful stench of the rotting blood all over the earth. Luke chapter 21 and verse 25, Jesus said this, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distresses of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Isaiah 24 and verse 6 says, Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore, 
The inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. There's coming a day that the day cometh, it will burn them, Malachi says in chapter 4 and verse number 1. You see, the extreme judgment of God will not change the rebellious hearts of, God, of the, those who reject God upon the earth. Again, they'll only blaspheme him, they'll vilify him, they'll talk evil about him, but they will not repent of their sin. Notice in verse number 10 and 11, there's the fifth vial, verses 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongue for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Again, they know who the judgment is coming from. The wrath of God, though, in this fifth Bold judgment is concentrated upon the source of the wickedness in the world, the seat, the throne of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is the one that will be the focal point of the idolatry and the worship of that day. The whole world will see that the one they worship is helpless against the one true God. What is the darkness here? Well, the darkness certainly describes the kingdom of the Antichrist. His kingdom is certainly moral and Uh, spiritually dark, but spiritual darkness isn't from ignorance. It's from a willful rejection of the truth. Pastor Scott and I were talking about this, uh, I think, a week or two ago, and we were talking about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where the Bible talks about how God gives them a strong delusion, but it talks about the people that he gives a strong delusion to, that he allows them to be deceived and harden their hearts against him. And the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the kind of people God's going to allow them to believe a lie are the people who reject his love and his grace. The people who reject salvation. And if you're here this evening and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I implore you to do that. You know his name, but do you know him for who he is? Do you know him as God? Do you know that he created the heavens and the earth in six literal days? He spoke and it came into existence. Do you know that he is the designer of our bodies? They're miraculous. They're incredible. The the world in which we live, the stars, the heavens, the galaxies, it it did not come about as a explosion. God created them. Jesus Christ created them. And then when man rebelled against God, because God, for reasons known only to him, to bring himself glory and honor, God chose to give you and me a free will to either receive him and worship him or reject him and despise him and find and seek for something else to worship. For reasons only known to him, God gave us a free will. And when when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin passed upon all men. And, And since that day, and even before that day, God had a plan that he was going to buy back sinful man. And that plan included an amazing story that you and I are familiar with, an amazing truth, and that truth is God loved mankind so much that he had already determined, I'm going to send my son born of a virgin, Mary. He's going to live a sinless life, and then I'm going to allow him to be crucified and die. 
And there on the cross, Jesus Christ, as he hung on that tree, suspended between the sinful earth and God the Father, as he hung on that tree, uh, not much life left in that body. And, and And he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he gives up the spirit. He says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he, and he willfully allows himself to die. Three days later, he rises from the dead, victorious. So that you and I could be saved from death and hell and from sin today. God has been pursuing mankind since mankind sinned. That mankind might be bought back and, and, and be restored in fellowship with God. And if you're here this evening and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I plead with you, receive him as your Savior. He died for you. He rose again for you. He lives for you. And he wants to deliver you, but you have to believe upon him. And it's not a matter of, well, I hope it works. I'll give it a try. No, no. He is God alone. And there are no other gods like him. And someday, as we read this passage, and it is awful, and it turns my stomach, uh, but, but folks, someday, Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign for all of eternity, and no man is going to be able to stand in his way. And they can vilify him, and they can blaspheme him, and they can shake their fists at heaven and say, you don't have the right to make me do anything. This is my life. I can live it however I want. But it's not going to matter. Because he is God. Notice the sixth vial in verse number 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. The river Euphrates has long been an inhibitor to war in that area of the world. But in that day, God's actually going to remove that, the drying up of the Euphrates. And then uh, he talks about the demonic forces bringing the rebellious armies of the world to the valley of Megiddo to oppose the Lord. Uh, And and it's interesting to me that this sixth vile judgment of God is the removal of a natural barrier that's going to allow the wicked and the rebellious armies of the world to position themselves to oppose Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the Old Testament story of the prophet Balaam. Where Balaam wanted to do this. And finally God said, okay, go ahead. God kept saying, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And, and no, he, he was insistent. And God gave him what he wanted, ultimately the destruction of himself. And that is what's going to happen. The people of the world know that God is judging them. And they're angry Uh, They're angry with God. They won't submit to God. They don't want God lording over them. They want God gone. And God is going to give them their chance to try and get what they want, a world without God. Notice in verses 13 and 14, we see the purpose of these judgments. Verses 13 and 14. It says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. And now, Now, they're not frogs, but like coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which is Satan, and the mouth of the beast, which is the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, which is this religious leader of the tribulation period. For they are the, they are the spirits of, of devils, of demons, is the word, working miracles which go forth in, unto the kings of the earth. 
and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. What is the purpose for this severe judgment of God upon the world? I believe there are two reasons. Number one, the vile judgments, these bold judgments are God's just response to the absolute idolatry and rejection of him. And two, the the bold judgments are to settle once and for all among every nation on the earth the absolute authority of Christ as God and Lord. The people of the great tribulation are guilty of disobeying the commandments of God. Mark 12 and verse 30, Jesus said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And really, Jesus, in that commandment, summarized summarized the first four of the Ten Commandments, which I've already read this evening. Have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You see, these terrible judgments will fall upon mankind primarily because they have chosen to worship the Antichrist instead of worshiping God. And they choose to vilify him for it. To to the very end, they're defending what they're doing. We'll we'll end with verse 15 and following. There's a warning before the vile judgments. Notice it in verse 15. Behold, God says, I come as a thief. And the idea is that God's not a thief. The idea is it's a picture. You don't know when a thief is coming, right? Right? And so he's saying, you don't know when I'm coming. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. What's he talking about here? Well, I believe he's talking to these, uh, he seems to be warning some of the tribulation saints who have somehow survived the purging of Christ's followers. It's likely he's talking to converted Israel. And and they are exhorted by God to keep the faith. Don't give up on what God has said. Don't give in to the idolatry of their day. Their garments speak of one's character. And and again, I submit to you, what they will go through will be tremendous. And so much so that God tells them, don't stop trusting me. Don't give in to the wickedness around you. We might say it this way, don't take the mark. I mean, literally, the world is falling apart around them. Everything that they know is gone. And at this point in the tribulation period, as I've already talked about, you remember we read about, like frogs, those evil spirits coming out of the mouths of the, of the evil one, the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet? They go into around the world, you can read about it, in, as we've just read, and they're going to gather, they're going to deceive the kings of the world into bringing their armies to this place of battle. I mean, uh, evil is going to be ruling on the earth at this time. And don't forget that. This is a battle between righteousness, the righteousness of God, and the evil of the wicked one, the devil. Notice in verse 16, the final vial. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. This is the last one, is what he's saying. 
And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Did, did you read, did you hear what we just read there? An earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth? In other words, there's never been an earthquake on this earth like there will be on this day. Verse 19, and the great city was divided into three parts. Some think that, was, that is Jerusalem. Others would say Babylon. Either way, uh, it seems like it might be Jerusalem. was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. The cities of the nations, so we're talking global, fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. Think about this now. This is global. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. So mountains are collapsing all over the earth. Islands are dissolving into the sea. And verse 21 says, And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, about a hundred pounds, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. The seventh vile judgment communicates the finality of God's judgment upon the earth. He says, it is done. It's so hard for me to understand a group of men so rebellious as these that they will shake their fist at God and blaspheme him and vilify him as a final defiance against him in the face of such disaster. And yet, and yet, there have been times in my life as a child of God where I've found my heart angry with God because of things he's allowed into my life. Resentful of the one who sent his son to save me. So maybe it's not so hard for us to understand. But to their dying day, these men will vilify God and they will blame God and they will resent God and they will hate God and they will shake their fists at God. This will be the final destruction of every religious, political, and educational institution that man has ever built apart from God. All their hopes and dreams will end in destruction because they will have chosen to worship someone other than Jesus Christ. And I exhort you today, we don't live during this time, but I exhort you today to choose to worship Jesus Christ as God. He is Lord. There's some that teach that if you don't make God Lord of your life, if you don't make Jesus Lord of your life, if you don't live for him every day, then you're probably not saved. I believe a person is saved by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But you and I will regret not living for him. I'll read to you a passage that came to my mind this afternoon. That's Joshua 24 and verse 15. Joshua in the Old Testament said this, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As I thought about that, this passage... That verse came to my mind. As for me and my house, we are going to serve Jesus Christ. How about you? These are awful things. 
It brings me no joy to study them. I, 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 I struggle with pre- preparing for it. I struggle with it. But it is the word of God. It's true. And you and I know about it. We ought to live. It ought to change how we live. It ought to affect how we live.